Welcome back to The Takeaway. Todd Zwillick with you all this week. Well, as we heard earlier this hour, for many people fighting for same-sex marriage equality, standing up for their cause is about securing rights for a vulnerable population. Listen. I feel like kind of the government is bullying my parents by not letting them have rights that they should have. This is something that we've worked for our entire lives, and all we want is to see that the next generations are going to be able to be equal and to be loved. It would be wonderful and incredible to see finally that all this work would culminate in something that would confirm that people find us somewhat equal and that we'll be able to share some of the privileges that others share. Now the voices there are three young people we heard from at the top of the show today, all kids of same-sex couples. And from within that movement, comparisons have been around for a long time to the civil rights movement, with gay rights activists calling upon, for instance, prominent black civil rights leaders to join their cause, and legal activists comparing the ban on gay marriage to the ban on interracial marriage, a ban that in 16 states was overturned by the Supreme Court only in 1967. But is the fight for gay rights really akin to the civil rights movement? Reverend Oliver White is pastor of Grace Community United Church of Christ, a predominantly black congregation in St. Paul, Minnesota. He supports gay marriage and sees gay rights as akin to black civil rights. Reverend, hello. Good. Hello to you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Ann Pellegrini, you're here as well. Uh, You're white and you're gay. Now, you're director of the Center for the Study of Genetic and uh, Gender and Sexuality at New York University. It's your view, as I understand it, that this is more of a religious freedom issue, correct? That is correct. I I wouldn't deny there is a relationship to civil rights, but I think it could be helpful to widen our public conversation if we think about a relationship between sexuality and religion. All right. Well, let's start with you then. Expand on that. And, and, and Reverend, we're, we're going to come back to you in just a second. Anne Pellegrini, I, the, the nexus between gay marriage and civil rights kind of makes cognitive sense. Group fighting for the rights treated equally under the Constitution. Whether you agree or disagree, you can sort of get the parallel. Why do you take it to another realm of religious freedom? I mean, I, again, I want to say first that as a basic matter of civil rights, if we think of civil rights as people being treated equally before the law, then equal rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and IDAD transgender people, yes, that's a matter of civil rights, equality before the law. But one of the reasons that I've been interested to think about religion and sexuality together, and then what religious freedom can help us think about, is that one of the talking points to argue for um, lesbian and gay rights over the last really two decades has been to make the claim that Uh, Lesbian and gay people are born this way. This is more than a hit song by Lady Gaga, right? Born this way has become one of the major talking points to advance civil rights claims. And it also takes this added um, feature in which homosexuality will be analogized to race, just like you shouldn't discriminate against black people because they can't help it. They were born this way. So, too, you shouldn't discriminate against lesbian and gay people because they can't help it. They weren't born this way. This is a really problematic moral argument because it implies that there's something wrong with being black and something wrong with being gay. And if you could change, the law could require you to as a matter of equality. So morally, it's a problematic argument. But if you actually look at the history of civil rights legislation and civil rights law as it's been worked out in the courts, immutability, the idea that you were born this way, is not and has never been a requirement to accord a group something called suspect classification, in which the court gives heightened scrutiny to whether a law unjustly discriminates against a group. All right. Now let's hear from from the Reverend, uh, because you're on the pulpit in a black church, Reverend Oliver White in Minnesota. We've all heard about the dispute within black churches, whether this is a civil rights issue, whether the struggle for civil rights in the 50s and 60s really is just prelude to what's going on in the Supreme Court today. 
Uh, thank you for saying that, because that is exactly where I stand. I, I would like to begin by saying I would love to sit in the classroom of the professor. I, uh, thank you for your point of view. Uh, I seem to think that, um, yes, people are born the way that they are born. Uh, Left-handed people are born that way. Uh, People who are conjoined are born that way. And that's not necessarily my argument. My argument is if a law infringes on a fundamental right, such as free speech or the right to assemble or the right uh, to religion uh, or even the right that's uh, being debated now uh, regarding uh, gun control and so forth and so on, I think that all of those are civil rights issues, and, and most especially, I've received a lot of uh, complaints from uh, my African-American colleagues saying, well, it's not the same, but I think it was primarily based on an emotion. Uh, what we went through during the civil rights movement is, is different than the gay rights uh, movement right now and what's going to be debated in the Supreme Court uh, tomorrow, I believe. But it's still to suggest that one cannot marry because this is a law unless you are a man and woman. That, uh, to me, is a, an infringement on one's civil rights. Um, although I do agree that the emotion was different for the African-American civil rights movement as opposed to the gay uh, movement. But it all has to do with allowing a person the ability to live their lives to the fullest, regardless of how they were born. And Pellegrini, professor at New York University, it seems to me the difference as we sort of process civil rights versus religious rights. We, we've covered civil rights, equal treatment before the law. When the founders came up in the First Amendment with not infringing on religious rights, it was really the sentiment nobody, regardless of how you're born, nobody in the government can tell you how to worship. Stay out of other people's business is essentially the, the takeaway from, from that part of the First Amendment. Don't you agree? That's correct. And, you know, there are two component, components to religious freedom, right? One is um, church-state separation. The other, and this is really vital, is to make room for the free practice of religion. And one of the reasons that, in fact, we protect religious freedom is that people actually can change the religions across their lives. And this is why I think there's a richer analogy between religion and sexuality. First of all, it really doesn't matter how anyone became gay, right? But people do, over the course of their lives, have different um, forms of desire. And if we think about um, religion and sexuality together, they're both ways of living, right? In the, in the language of the U.S. Constitution, they're forms of free exercise that are essential to how we actually make lives with other people, elaborate our values. And you, you began the segment with those beautiful, you know, very poignant quotations, those, those moments where those young people talking about their gay families, right? They want to be equal in the way they're loved. That's about practice. They want the ethical life. They want the good life that their parents are making with and for them, right? To be recognized and given equal value. And there we see a lovely link between civil rights and religious rights. They're both about, we've got practice and equality before the law. Ann Pellegrini is Associate Professor of Religious Studies uh, at New York University and is thinking about gay rights sort of in terms of religious rights and self-determination. Reverend Oliver White, pastor of Grace Community United Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota, thinking about it in terms of civil rights. Thank you both. You're welcome. Well, earlier in the show, we discussed standing in line at the Supreme Court for the limited number of seats available to the public, the trend of paying others to stand in line for you so that you don't have to. Nothing is illegal for sure, but is it right? Joseph from Massachusetts writes to us, 
As much as I deplore the commercialization of just about everything, if people want to pay someone to stand in line for them, who am I to deny someone needing the money some extra cash as a line sitter? Brian in Texas writes, yet another sector that's deregulated. LOL, this is American capitalism at its finest. Give us your take at 8778MyTake. Send us a tweet at The Takeaway. You don't have to stand in line to do so. It is your direct line right to us. And we take all comers, no charge. I'm Todd Zwillick filling in this week for John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway.